Welcome everybody once again to the Pace and Space podcast where the ceiling is the roof. Once again, I am your host Calvin and with me as always is my co-host Leif. Say hi to everybody Leif. What's going on everyone? And once again, back by popular demand, we have two of our favorite special guests, Martin and Jonathan. What's going on guys? Chilling, man. Thanks for having us back again. Got yes, you. indeed. Yes, indeed. Good to be here. So this is going to be the first ever four-man pod on the Pace and Space podcast. Very exciting times. We're growing bigger and bolder with each passing week. But we got to talk about some fun things tonight. We're not going to talk too much about the current events of this week. It was kind of a slow week, so I thought we could use this opportunity to have more of a philosophical discussion. But first and foremost, we got to give credit where it's due. Dirk Nowitzki hitting the 30K, 30,000 point mark. Shout out to Dark. To Shout out to Dirk, the Deutschland Mamba, as I like to call him. Uh, you guys have anything to say about Dirk and this, and this achievement? Yeah, sure. Um, I was, we were talking before the podcast on how this was a guy who was the number 11 pick traded upwards for a popular college player, Robert Tractor Trailer who is unfortunately deceased. And Dirk made the most of the situation. He became the face of the Dallas Mavericks franchise. So I think he's accomplished so much. And considering how rare it is for a player to score 30,000 in his career, Dirk is, is definitely up there as one of the greats. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, the thing about Dirk is Dirk definitely revolutionized though the way the big man is playing today. When you see a man who's seven foot tall be able to step out and shoot the three with relative ease and also able to hit that kick fadeaway, I mean, Dirk is, is, there's not enough ways we can say Dirk is truly, uh, was way ahead of his time. We truly appreciate all the stuff he's doing. And, you know, he's talking about playing another couple of years. If he continues playing, I think he could. I think he can definitely rise up, get past the, 31,000, 32,000 if he keeps playing. But I look forward to seeing what else he can do. Yeah. John, you have any thoughts on him? Yeah, I mean, it's just amazing to see a player of that type of caliber. Um, and it's great to see him have a long career, not really um, bothered by, like, injuries that have super plagued him during his prime. Um, and, you know, just see what he's accomplished. It's, it's kind of weird seeing these great guys that we've had for decades now approach the end of their career and you know mm -hmm. like Kobe and others and knowing that we're not going to be able to watch them very soon yeah that that's the saddest part about it but got to give credit where it's due like you guys mentioned he's had an amazing career an amazing career with the same team from the time he was drafted till now been a Dallas Maverick his whole time that's an achievement in itself first Duncan left before him Kobe now Dirk you know, maybe they won't be such a rare breed anymore with all this money coming in for for guys to stay with the same team. But they they're truly in rarefied air when you talk about those guys, especially in the generation they came from. Not many guys got to say they could they could spend twenty years with the same club. And not only did he achieve this feat, but he also did it with a signature move that that fadeaway. So many players have tried to incorporate it into their arsenal. And it's become a shot as almost as unguardable as Kareem's skyhook when you think about how Dirk uses it. And like Lave said, he revolutionized the game for big men, seven-footer, stepping out. 
hitting three-pointers with ease. Now you have so many guys trying to do that now in the league. You got Porzingis, you got Cousins, Anthony Davis, Anthony Towns. They're all out by the three-point line. Dirk was one of the first guys really to do that at an elite level. And I just got to give credit to him. He's the sixth person now to hit 30,000 points. And that is special even when you think of all of the major milestones in any sport. When you think about 600 home runs in baseball, there are more people that have 600 home runs in baseball than have 30,000 points in the NBA. There are more people in the NFL with 100 touchdowns than there are players in the NBA with 30,000 points. So for him to reach that level is truly a, a remarkable feat, I have to say. I mean, it is. It absolutely is. And that's why I'm hoping that, you know, people really recognize what they're seeing right now. Sometimes we don't recognize the game until it's gone. And as was previously mentioned, he's doing so he's he's been here for the last twenty years. He's had an awesome career. He it's just remarkable that, you know, you think about dirt. We don't wanna look past him as some one of the greatest of all times. You know, that's something that we can debate for another day, but he definitely is up there. You know, besides the point, he's only he's only a handful of people who've been the 50, 40, 90. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about how his career started, many people didn't think he would be this way. And here he is still performing at a relatively good level, if you think about it. So, hey, more props to him. You know, good job for the, the career he has. And, you know, I hope that, you know, when we look back at his career, we're able to say, you know, he was able to bring forth a, a new um, new class of big men. And we're starting to see that now. You know, we already, talked, you already mentioned Przingis, but we also have other big men who are able to bring the ball back, shoot that, that jumper, that fadeaway, you know, often imitated, but, you know, never duplicated. But yet they try. But hopefully that, ge- that style of game continues. Yeah, agreed. So as we mentioned We wanted to give Dirk his praise, but we do have a very interesting topic this evening. We wanted to talk on a philosophical level about team building. Last week, me and Leif, we were discussing how the Sixers, they they shut down Embiid, they shut down Simmons, and how they're going to be entering this summer again with more questions than they had at the beginning of the season and really just trying to figure out if they're approaching a light at the end of the tunnel as an organization. And that brings up the question about how a lot of these teams in the last the last decade have have managed their franchises. And basically we're gonna we're gonna pose the question as to tank or not to tank. We know a lot of times we hear on podcasts, we read uh, in different blogs and sports sites how if a team does not have a superstar or if a team has a superstar but they want to leave, that the best thing for that team to do is just blow it up, rebuild or tank to get high draft picks, and then, you know, three, four, five down years down the line, once they get that superstar via trade, then they can become a contender. But as we look at some of these teams, I think it's going to be fair to ask if that philosophy is working or if that process is working. So we have a couple teams that we want to discuss. Well, uh, several teams. Um, Leif, why don't you go ahead and get into some of the teams we want to discuss this evening? 
Yeah, so we had a few teams we wanted to talk about. You know, of course, when we talk about tanking and that whole philosophy, we have to talk about the Sixers. The Sixers definitely one team who's tried to do this over and over. And based off what you said, I'm curious. What do you think about the Sixers? Is What about their philosophy of tanking? Well, before I say what I, what I would say about the Sixers, maybe let's open it up to our special guest panel that we have this evening. Jonathan or Martin, any of you want to jump in and share your thoughts about the Sixers? Sure, I got something on that. All right, go ahead. Hit us with it. Well, I think we have to look at, we have to rather ignore the previous three years because that was a different regime. So mm. that was a an organization with a mindset of, you know, let's Riggins for Wiggins and tank for the number one pick. And I think in the long run, the process hasn't borne the fruit, I guess, previous regime thought it would. This season, they started off with promise from a bead, a guy they drafted, what, three years ago? Mm -hmm. and, and a hope for Simmons, who unfortunately didn't play the whole season at all because of his injury. So I think that for them, this season isn't really tanking as much as it is. They were just bad. They weren't the worst team in the league. They showed some promise. Uh, the players that have been there with Brett Brown are starting to develop nicely. You have uh, Stauskas, um, McConnell. What's the other guy? You tell me. I would just say a beat again, just to keep it going. Sure, there you but go. They seem, <laughs> they seem to, you know, they seem to be competitive at certain points, and it's also enjoyable. So I don't think this season they're tanking as much as they're just you know, living with the situation, the hand that they've been dealt. That's my thought on it. Okay. John, you got anything you want to say about Sixers? Okay. So, yeah, with regards to the 76ers, um, I understand the whole purpose of tanking, or at least the desired result, to try to get star players in an inexpensive way. The concern that I think really comes along with it is the type of culture that you build for your team. And I think part of that was eliminated this year. I, I feel like Sixers fans and the organization as a whole was just this loser mentality and the fans were getting really frustrated. Um, Embiid showed a lot of promise. He has star potential, if not, you know, being declared a star, even though, you know, he didn't make the all-star game this year. The problem is, once again, his health. Is he going to be able to consistently, you know, play for you? And so... I think a lot of the work of the process of this tanking strategy was undone with some of the moves they made by trading New Orleans Noel and being stuck with Okafor, which all reports seem to indicate they didn't really want him. And, you know, Simmons still hasn't played any minutes. They're going to draft high again in this lottery, so they'll have some more young talent coming in. But it doesn't seem like they have great uh, rapport with free agents. It doesn't seem like the Sixers are really on a, the map as far as a destination for a lot of free agents, which is a shame because it's a historic franchise in the NBA. And I feel like that's a byproduct of this tanking strategy. Like, yeah, you might be able to get some guys, you know, some stars at a, on their rookie deals. But at the same time, if you're not building the other elements of your team and you're sacrificing a season just so that you can have a shot, you know, at a, some ping pong balls, it's going to suffer in other elements. You're not building that culture which you see in the winning teams in the NBA. Yeah, I agree. And I do think you have to break the Sixers up into two parts. You have to break them in 
up into the Hinky era and now into the Colangelo era. And with the Hinky era, it was it was just awful. I mean, the rosters that were being put together, they were they weren't even hitting the league minimum on the salary cap for stretches and at times in the season. And it was just blatant, right? Hinky accumulated like 55 second round draft picks between now and 3,055 and it was just wash, rinse, repeat. Anyone who had any semblance of basketball skill was immediately traded. KJ McDaniels traded, Michael Carl Williams traded, so on and, and so forth. And those three years, basically now when you look at this team, they ha- out of those three years, they have Sarich, who's looking good, Embiid, but like you guys mentioned, Embiid has that same, he has the same questions now about injuries and being injury prone that he had before he even started this season. You know, he didn't even get to play 40 games. We, me and Leif discussed that last week. It was 31 games he played this season. And then they traded Noel. They, they traded Noel essentially for a bag of chips. They didn't get much in that trade. The pick that's supposed to confer to them this season is not going to end up going to them because Dallas would have to win its way up all the way into the playoffs and either in order for Philly to get that pick. So that's going to turn into another second-round pick next year. So they gave up Noel for Justin Anderson and a second-round pick next year because they got rid of Bogut immediately. So when you, if I was a Philly fan... You say, okay, we're we've been bad for four years, and all I have to show for it is thirty games of Joel Embiid and Dario Saric. I don't know how Simmons plays with these guys. You didn't even really get to see how Noel plays with these guys. Zach Lowe tweeted out that Embiid and Noel played eight minutes together before he was traded to Dallas, and now Dallas looks like they have their big man of the future. So. If I was a Philly fan, I would be a little upset right now. I don't know if I feel like there's light at the end of the tunnel. All of that could change with who they draft this year. But even if even if they draft the guy this year and B can somehow stay healthy, I still have to wonder where they're going to go moving forward when they're not an ideal free agent location. If you're not going to get those veteran, those key veteran free agents, every team needs to be a true playoff team and a true contender. There's still a lot of questions, and it does not seem like this was the surefire solution to become a contender, in my opinion. I don't know how you guys feel about it. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I don't believe in tanking. I think tanking doesn't bring the results that you think it'll bring. People feel that you tank – and immediately you go into the draft and you're going to get these um, players one year removed from high school and all of a sudden your franchise is going to fare out better than if you were to sign veterans. That's not going to happen. And so when I see these people, in this case the Sixers, go through this whole process of tanking with the hope of landing top picks in order to build their team, I mean, we know that unless you're finding the next LeBron inside the draft, you're going to find your role players and players who are able to contribute probably around the seven, eight, nine range. You can still find players around that, that area. You can still trade up. I mean, I'm thinking about teams like the Kings. 
the Kings are in the lottery every year, and yet they mm. still stink. So even if you have a top pick, doesn't guarantee your your success. So sure you got Simmons, sure you got Embiid, sure you got you had Noel and you have Okafor, and you have all these D League players playing on the in the NBA. You can have all that, but you're, you're hoping that you're gonna strike it big. And while you're doing that, you have teams around you who aren't tanking who are finding those players, and they're continuing to get better. So this whole process that they're doing, I, I don't believe in it. it. Sure, MB gave you 31 games. It's great. That was 31 games. But, I mean, you don't, you can't trust and go into next season. You Right now you have Simmons who hasn't played a game. You have more. You've had more question marks during this whole process and tanking than you had in the years before that. So it, to me, it doesn't. It doesn't pay off what they're doing. It doesn't work in basketball. The whole tanking thing. No, and I think the team I want to talk about next is basically the case in point for our argument, and that's the Minnesota Timberwolves. When you look at the Minnesota Timberwolves, they have failed to make the playoffs for the past decade. Ever since they traded Kevin Garnett to Boston, they have not made the playoffs. And whether you can whether you want to say they were tanking or not, all of those years, they definitely weren't. But this was also a team that got that star, that got that key player. They had Kevin Love. They had Kevin Love for years and could not turn that team into a playoff team until they eventually traded him to Cleveland and just basically recycled and started the process all over again. And now you got some good players. You have Carl Anthony Towns. You have Andrew Wiggins. You have Zach Levine. But there are still questions. You know, who's their point guard? Is it going to be Rubio? Is it going to be Chris Dunn? And then you had rumors of in the trade deadline where Thibodeau was actually considering bringing in Joachim Noah and Derrick Rose for, for Ricky Rubio. And you just have to imagine that would have set the team back a couple more years in terms of being where they wanted to be. And it makes you wonder, they have the talent, but are they ever really going to turn it around? Because they've had, they've had good talent before. They had Kevin Love, they had Pekovic, they had Rubio, they had Kevin Martin. They had these guys, and they couldn't turn into a playoff team. So I think you really have to, one, this is a, a case in point of, you shouldn't just say, well, we'll, we'll trade this guy, We'll rebuild. We'll tank. We'll get. We'll get the guy in in the draft, and then everything will be gravy again. Because that's what the T Wolves did, and it hasn't been gravy. This this team had a young Al Jefferson in his peak. They had a young Kevin Love in his peak. They had guys like that, and they were not able to turn that into playoff success. So, how do you guys feel about the Minnesota Timberwolves? Well. The Minnesota Timberwolves, to me, are, is a franchise who, again, tried to rely on the draft and failed. Um, you mentioned love. Um, they had love. They had Al Jefferson. They, after they had um, Garnett, they actually, believe it or not, they're the ones who actually drafted Ray Allen. <laughs> they got rid of him for that. They had O.J. Mayo. To me, the, the the worst moment of them was 2009, that draft. That draft was, I believe that was the draft where they picked Ricky Rubio, Johnny Flynn, mm-hmm. Ty Lawson, 
<laughs> they picked up all these point guards and they were all staring at each other. And yet they were players who they just left there on the board and never picked up. They, they, I mean, they, they traded they, the best of those three point guards too on draft night in Ty oh yeah. Lawson. Oh yeah. Not to mention that they picked up Rubio and Flynn right before Curry got picked. That's right. And then a few picks down after that was DeMar DeRozan. Yep. Yeah, they and then and then don't forget Drew Holiday, Jeff T. They were players in that draft, and yet they that goes to the point. Tanking and trying to build through the draft does not work. They're another example of that. And right now they have a young roster. They they have the pieces in place to build a team, but they this is a team that doesn't know winning yet. So you're trying to build a winning culture around a team that has been perennial losers for the last 10 years and saying, all right, now we want you to win. That's not going to happen. So that's, again, another product of tanking. Yeah, yeah, I, I want to go ahead and um, agree with Leif. I think part of the problem is habitual tanking. And so mm-hmm. when it becomes a practice, I mean, if a team is just bad – and, you know, the season at this point, you realize, well, you're not going to be able to compete this season. Yeah, it makes sense to try to put yourself in a position to get the best possible draft pick because you have the best chances of landing a significant player. But when you are planning and, you know, to throw away entire seasons and that's the aim is to completely, you know, let a season go by and this becomes a habit then I think that's really where there's a problem. And like Leif said, there's there's no real evidence that points that the draft is a, enough by itself to save NBA teams. You know, it's a combination of factors. Even the teams that people point to, like the Warriors, where their best players may have been uh, drafted, you have to look at the supporting cast that they surrounded them with, the ones that they've acquired in free agency, the other players that they've made minor deals for that help form that backbone. So it's, it's not just one particular process alone that makes a winning basketball. Um, I think also one thing that people have to look at too, in the case of the Timberwolves, is the question whether it really works for someone like Tom Thibodeau or just coaches in general to also be the president of basketball operations. Yeah. Is this a formula for success? Does there need to be a separation here and have somebody tackle one job being the president of the operations and have somebody else focus completely on the coaching. You know, Tibbs is somebody who's regarded for his defense. He he was, you know, a, a big factor in my my Celtics team back in 2008. And, you know, the, the question with the Wolves have been all season, where's the defense at? You know, that's been one of their major areas of, of weakness. And so is there, you know, success to be found in combining these two positions should they be separate could does that really work out best for these teams you know um amongst the other questions regarding using tanking as a primary strategy i think you have to like really look at all of that yeah i agree i've I've always felt the president coach combo is is a dangerous game to play uh martin you wanted to add anything on the t-wolves yeah, really quick, I, I think this goes back to what Jonathan and, and Leif alluded to about culture. And culture isn't just picking players or trying to be in the best position to get young talent. It's also what are you instilling in this in this team? 
where do you want the team to go? And I don't think the Timberwolves, after Garnett and Marbury, have ever had a thought process or, or, or plan in place. This is where we go. This is what we want to be. And like you said, Calvin, they haven't been competitive in, or a playoff team in 10 years. And that's right after they let Kevin Garnett go. So in addition to drafting players, it's the right player. It's the right coach. It's, you know, what practice habits do you instill? Uh, what does the coach see the team as? And I don't, I don't think a team like the Timberwolves, as, well, honestly, especially the Timberwolves, has an idea of what their culture, what their identity is going to be. Yeah, uh, you guys hit it all on the head. Really good points about Minnesota. And I think one thing I want to do say is I, I do believe in the draft personally, but I think there also has to be a a balance of relying on the draft, but also relying on your own scouting and your own development departments as a franchise. And what a lot this a lot of these teams into trouble is they take risk on guys, they take high upside but low floor or high risk, high reward draft picks and they they aren't honest with themselves whether or not they have the infrastructure to develop properly develop the guys that they're bringing in. You know, they just see wingspan or jumping ability and and their eyes light up and they're like, We have to take this guy but they're not having honest questions honest conversations with themselves as an organization to see if they have the right infrastructure to make sure that that player succeeds. Now, some of it's on the player itself, but a lot of it is also about where that player ends up. You, you know, we can we can move forward and talk about Sacramento and how things were with DeMarcus Cousins that whole time. You know, maybe it was all on DeMarcus, but we also have to acknowledge that that franchise has not instilled the culture and infrastructure to get someone like DeMarcus Cousins in line, get him to buckle down, get him to be a real leader. Who are the veterans they're signing? Who are the assistant coaches or special mentors that they're signing to help a guy like DeMarcus Cousins? You have to look into all those things too. Um, you know, teams like the Lakers, they you know, they they signed guys like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to help work with their big men. Um, other teams have signed guys like Gary Payton and Mark Price and players like that to help their their top talent develop the skill sets they want them to learn. And when you look at a team like the Kings, you've seen none of that, right? Yeah, you don't see it. And another thing is they constantly keep changing front offices too. Um, especially in Sacramento, they've changed ownership, but that was actually for a good reason. But GM, the GM has now had like a, a revolving door. Now Vladi Divac is in there. No one really knows for sure how tr- par- well prepared he is for the job. Um, you know, and <laughs> and you know now they've set now they've basically set the reset button again. They they moved on from DeMarcus Cousins. They made that trade. Whether you like the trade or not, they've made it now. And Divac said that it was a culture move. So now we're going to have to examine that organization moving forward to see if, th- if that really was a culture move and will they be better now as a franchise. You know, 
you can look at it as Buddy Hield is really the the X factor there, but I think if you broaden out your lens, moving cousins also opened up playing time for um, Scalbicia and Willie Colley Stein to really play together and flourish. So maybe they're hoping that giving those guys minutes and adding Buddy Hill will be the recipe. But we'll have to see what's going on with them. Um, you guys have any other thoughts on the Kings? Yes. I'll, Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Well, what we have here, we keep we keep saying, you know, here they have this, these pieces, and we're hoping that these pieces actually come together. Uh, again, oh, the fact still remains, and you hit and you talked about it. You 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 hit the nail on the head. This this kind of culture, when you have a front office that's not put together, is a constant revolving door. You have people in positions who shouldn't be there. That's part of the reason why the NBA is messed up the way it is right now. You have free agents who now, instead of looking at teams like Sacramento and Minnesota and Sixers, now instead of looking at them and saying, wow, this is big markets, they, they're, they have loyal fans, now they're saying we don't want to buy in for five years to go to a team that's in shambles or is a mess. And so they wind up signing with those same relative few teams and the players who they draft, they're not staying there. They're trying to force their way out. So again, Sacramento is another team who's in that same position. They're, I don't even say that they're tanking. They're just trying to create a culture that they themselves do not know. Right. They're just they're bad. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think tanking applies. They're just bad. And it's a shame because, like you said, they have loyal fans. And shouldn't have gotten this bad. You have a future Hall of Famer who's about to get inducted, who's one of their best players, Chris Webber. You have in ownership Shaquille O'Neal, who's arguably one of the best centers of all time. None of these people could mentor or influence the team as it is to be better. I don't think Cousins is that bad that he would tune out Chris Webber and Shaquille O'Neal, maybe just Vlade, but not the two others. So I think that they're just a bad, poorly run team. They, they, they're like the Browns of the NFL. They just need something to change. Maybe it's new ownership. Maybe it's a new front office. But they're just bad. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I mean, is this a situation of them being bad? From what I saw or read, rather, was that um, part of the reason why the, the Boogie Cousins trade happened the way it did was because the owner was contemplating giving uh, DeMarcus the $200 million extension. And then once he changed his mind, uh, Vladi Divac jumped on the opportunity to trade Cousins before the owner could go back and forth and decide again that he wanted to keep Boogie and give him the extension, which makes oh, sense man. when you think about how the trade went down at such a seemingly random time. Um, there's a lot of issues that's going on there. They're in a bad situation too because, um, you know, where Rudy Gay got hurt. I don't think he planned to stay there anyway. Um, they have had a losing record since the trade, so there's no real evidence that they're that much better after the fact. And then also, too, their, their draft pick situation as well. I don't think they own their own draft pick coming into this year. And I think they also have future draft picks that are going to other teams as a result of trades that I'm not sure had benefited them, really. So it's a rough situation for them. And um, 
it, you know, when you don't own your own draft picks, then tanking is not even something that you can even employ as a strategy. Now you have to try to find other ways. You got to attract free uh, free agents. You have to trade well. And when you have a front office that seems to be a mess, like Martin said, who is going to want to come play for your organization? You yeah. know, yeah, you have money and you have cap space, but everybody has that. You know, a lot of teams have money. These guys have options now. Very and true. if the, the ones who want to compete, they're, they're going to really factor that in when you go ahead and you make these offers. And I can't see people looking at Sacramento as a desirable location right now. Right. And I think we can all agree that instead of calling them a team that tanks, it's just better to realize that this has been a poorly run organization for several years. But I think a team that we can say has tanked, and they actually are the most unique in this scenario because they are one of those teams that did at one point have a superstar, but the superstar was unhappy and therefore they traded him, and that is the Orlando Magic. Rob Hennigan came in into the front office the summer of 2012, and that was the same summer where they made that blockbuster trade to trade Dwight Howard to the Lakers. And when you look at what that team has done since then, They've tanked to try and acquire, you know, perhaps what they hoped would be star talent. But when you look at that team now, several years later, and I want to juxtapose them to other teams that were in this situation, like a team like Denver, when they had to trade Carmelo Anthony, or even teams that simply just let stars walk. When you look at like, another team that plays in the same state as them, the Miami Heat. Miami lost LeBron, they they let Dwayne Wade walk, and now they've had Chris Bosh retire. And yet and still, they're still finding ways to compete as an organization, whereas here we are four years later after, or five years later, just about after the Dwight Howard trade, the Orlando Magic are no closer to becoming a playoff team, let alone a contender. Uh, what do you guys think about the Orlando Magic? Apparently not much. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Beautifully said. Uh, listen, I'll tell you this. I think that... See, they're, they're a puzzle because they've made some trades. They have a couple of good players. Um, the trade, I think, that they made last year, there was a defining moment for them was Tobias Harris because it opened up the floor in some minutes for Aaron Gordon. But I think Aaron Gordon is like Blake Griffin... Blake griffin light he doesn't seem to have a defined <laughs> position he doesn't he just dunks and maybe he'll hit a, a few shots here and there from outside alfred payton if he's awake he can be a, a great point guard but it seems like also like he just doesn't pay attention to the game half the time when he's in it um Vujicic is amazing it is butter for a contract and now he's just cashing checks I think the real mystery guy for them, too, is Fournay. I think he's a kind of player who, over the years, will continue to grow. But I don't know what his ceiling is. Is he just, like, a good scorer? Or does he have star potential? Other than that, there's, there's really not a lot of people on this roster that you're impressed by or that you could see being talented and taking this team further than it is. Right. Leif, John? Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with Martin. I, I like the fact that he finally moved Aaron Gordon to the four. He shouldn't be playing the three. No. He's at a disadvantage there against faster threes. So he should be playing a four, and that was, you know, a good move. Um, They should have never did this, you know, obviously the Sabaka trade for um, Oladipo. Mm-hmm. That trade was unwise, and, um, you know, now they don't have Ibaka. So what did they really get out of that whole interaction, that whole um, transaction there? It didn't really benefit them. Um, I'm not a big fan, personally, of Frank Vogel. I feel like, you know... His best situation was in Indiana, and, you know, they underachieved there, mm-hmm. which is part of the reason why he's not there anymore, I feel. Mm-hmm. I felt Larry Bird felt the same. And I don't feel like he's going to be able to have great success with this Orlando Magic team. Uh, I think that part of partly plays into culture. I think, you know, not to go off on a tangent, but part of that has to do with the fact that I feel like too many teams recycle coaches as opposed to giving opportunities to some other NBA veterans or other people who should be qualified or should at least have an opportunity. And so when one team has a coach and it doesn't work out, another team grabs him and finds himself in a similar situation. And so that same coach is passed around, you know, by a bunch of teams. And I think that's, you know, partly of what we're seeing here with Frank Vogel. Mm -hmm. I think the other element of things is, you know, the, the Magic fall into a situation, too, where they're just not that great. You know, they had some potential at the start of the year and then some puzzling moves, loading real heavy in the four and five slot and then having to, to you know, clear up the, the, the log jam that was there. And, you know, they also have a losing record since the All-Star break. So I think they're just another lottery-bound team. And um, I, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, they, I think first, the first thing they have to start with is just making better trades, you know, better decisions with regards to the players they have. And, you know, that'll be a start for them. Yeah. For, for Orlando, I don't see any path forward for them immediately. Um, they have, they have talent on their team, but that talent when put together doesn't make a good team. These are players who I feel will be better suited on other teams um, they have, you mentioned the names, you mentioned the Gordons and the, and all the other players they have on the team, and that's good and all, but while they play good on play good and they score a lot of points as a whole, I really don't feel Orlando. In fact, this is a tough statement for me to say, but I almost think the Sixers are in a better position than the Magic right now. Um, just because the Magic has players, they have – they have to be able, willing to move some more of these players. John, you hit the, you, you talked about it right there. They have these players. They have to make better trades. The trades they're making are horrible. Um, you did all those trades and you got back Terrence Ross. Um, Terrence Ross is probably the fourth man off the bench on most teams. But here you're putting him in a position where you're relying on him. You got rid of Olin Depot. I don't know why. To me, Peyton should have been the one to be going. This is a lot of questions there, a lot of questionable moves, and I think those questionable moves is what's going to impact them moving forward. Yeah, I, I agree with what you guys are saying. I also think when you look at the Orlando Magic, especially this year, is you you find you see the problem with tanking, and that problem is you can't tank forever. 
And I feel like Rob Hennigan was in that situation. It's year four now. You can't just keep saying you're waiting for the right pieces before you start contending. Not every owner is going to just sit down for five or six years with their hands, uh, you know, sitting on their hands waiting for their GM to produce a winner. You know, most owners are going to say, hey, look, the seats aren't filled up. We're on year X. We got to start seeing results. And I, I think that was basically what we saw this year with Orlando. And that's also the problem with some of these GMs that focus on tanking. You can't rely on them to then switch gears when it's time to switch gears and now start making the moves that are going to lead to a winning formula to a successful team because these guys have been spent the majority of their time on that team simply collecting assets. And now to flip gears and be be willing to spend to make the team better is, is, a, is a stark contrast. And we saw he made bad trades. Oladipo was the one player that that team should have kept. And he was the player they shipped out. The, the two players that they traded away were the two players they probably should have kept on that roster in Ola, Victor Oladipo and Tobias Harris. Those were their two most talented players. Now you look at that roster, who, who's their building block? Who's their franchise player? Is it Aaron Gordon? Is it Alfred Payton? Is it Vucevic? And then even if those guys might be the franchise player, you've also handicapped those same guys with the players you brought on brought into the team you you sign you sign players so that Alfred Payton now is on the bench you sign Biombo you sign you trade for Ibaka so now Aaron Gordon has to play the three now Vucevic has to share his minutes at the five with Biombo and Ibaka so you're spiting your own players and you're stunting their own development because you're not giving them the keys to the car and now you're also not building a team that, that makes sense and works together. Even in when even in with that Toronto trade where they sent Ibaka to Toronto for Terrence Ross, Terrence Ross and Evan Fournier overlap too. So you, you have you have all these guys that basically do the same thing at each position and you don't know who you're committing to at any of these positions. So it, it's a big mess and I agree I don't think Frank Vogel is gonna turn that around. They have been recycling coaches because before Vocal, they brought Scott Skiles, what, for like the third time to coach Orlando last year. And <laughs> you have, and then you have this, this ta- you have guys like Mario Hazonia, who's just been rotting on the bench. Again, who, where is he going to play? He plays the same position as Terrence Ross and Evan Fournier. So what are you doing with all of this, with all of this talent? You, you've kept the wrong guys. And you've made moves for the sake of making moves because you can't just say that you're 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 tanking anymore. Now you have to try and turn that around. And he, I think Reb, Rob Hennigan has proven that he can't flip that switch. That maybe he was good in the beginning when it came to collecting assets. When it turn when it turns turns time to to flip assets and to actually turn what you have into production and success, he falls short in my opinion. Yeah, you have to take a look at the players you have and you realize that you have to cut bait with them. You can't hold on to them too long, especially when you have a trade market for some of these players. You got to go. You got to make the deals. And now you're going to head to the draft. You're going to try to find that player in the draft. And based off of where they'll probably be picking, the best player available will probably be a point guard. And they probably will pick that point guard. And now you have a deeper log jam. Or maybe a big guy, and you have a log jam there. So no matter where you go, you have a log jam. 
this is where they have to make those deals, make the deals that that are worth it, free up some room, get some veterans on a team. Because if you look at this team, they don't have the veterans, the, the veteran voice that they should have that will help bring them to the next level. They have a bunch of young players who, for what it's worth, are all about probably partying right now and having fun and, you know, AAU basketball and trying to play that on a team setting. It ain't going to work. And that's what you're seeing right here. A bunch of a bunch of names who don't make up a team. Right. And like I mentioned when I first brought up Orlando, you, you can juxtapose them with what Denver did when they traded Carmelo Anthony, what Masai Ujiri did in that scenario, or what Masai Ujiri did in Toronto when he decided to part ways with Rudy Gay and what he and reassess what he had as, as in the organization. You can look at what Pat Riley's done with the Miami Heat. They lost LeBron. They lost Chris Bosh. They let Dwayne Wade walk, and yet and still, they're on fire right now. You know, at, maybe early on in the beginning of the season, there was talk about pre- potentially trading Whiteside and Dragic, but that wasn't the intention going into the season. That was perhaps maybe a reaction to the way they started the season. But Spolstra, he got the team clicking. He got those players working well. And now they're probably going to make the playoffs once again without Bosh, without Wade, without LeBron James. And this is something that they've experienced in the last three years, almost around the same time. Some of these teams that have been tanking have been doing that, and they've stayed consistently competitive all the same. How, how are these teams able to do that while the teams we talked about before go four, five, even ten years without making the playoffs? Well, because Pat Riley's a smart VP. You know, Pat Riley looked at what he had on his team. Uh, who would have thought after all these years after LeBron that Spolstra would still be coaching this team and he'd be this good as a coach? So they have the right combination of factors. And again, it brings about the C word culture. Mm-hmm. They know who to put on the floor. They know who to spend money on. Johnson was a undrafted pick, uh, came into the league through the D-League, and he, thankful to the Nets, he's he got paid. The Heat wanted to keep him because they felt he's a part of their core and a part of their future. So when you look at guys like the, the White Sides, the Johnsons, the, the other players they have on a team that necessarily didn't fit anywhere else, but the Heat developed them, took advantage of Development League, and these guys, excuse me, are quality players, and it works for this team. Why? Because, again, it's culture. Yeah. That's my thought on it. Yeah, you, you, Leif, John, you got any thoughts on him? Uh, yeah, I'm going to agree completely with Martin. It comes down to culture. Like, Pat Riley has instilled it, um, and it's it's evident. You know, I think that was one of the attracting factors for when they formed their victory was the culture, what Pat Riley was promising them. And he knew how to win, and he was going to show them how to do so. And so he's not going to allow the organization to be in a bad place for a long time. They suffered a ton of injuries this season. And I really think that's what set them back. And even still, um, while they're probably going to be able to draft high, um, you know, definitely be probably a, a lottery bound team, I think. Um, they show promise with some of the, the guys that they have. Martin mentioned some of them. Deion Waiters has been playing really well for them, too. Yes. So, you know, it's possible that he's going to see your. Uh, this is, he's trying to home. You know, sometimes some guys have to find the right environment 
at home for them where they can really flourish and you know they get the support they need and they're able to become you know they're able to reach their potential and i think that is also part of culture um and also another factor as we said of not just relying on the draft you have to look at guys where can i find talent here this it didn't work out for this guy here in this organization for this ball club let's see if we can put him in a position to have success absolutely and that's what pat riley does he tries to, to bring out the best of his players they have a good coach for he's even kill he knows how to win he's won before he's no he knows how to work with young talent and how to develop guys and so they're in a position where they're going to continue to grow. And it doesn't hurt the fact that it's Miami, you know. So right. it's it's not like, uh, you know, it's someplace where people don't want to be. And I, I think the Heat are going to have a quick turnaround where they'll be one of those competitive teams in the Eastern Conference in the next, you know, three or four years, if not sooner. Yeah, I agree with what we all said. Um, I think it's a a combination of uh, mistakes that actually happen to work out. Um, turning a bad situation with Chris Bosh into a good situation with Hassan Whiteside. Um, and then giving Dion Waiters the green light to just do him and just go crazy. I think all those things combined with the good coaching and the Pat Riley being a, a the genius he is in terms of being in the front office contributed to this. Now you remember, Pat Riley even said before that he was ready to. He told the fans, you know, there's gonna be a, a period of building, and then all of a sudden they go on this win streak, and it's like, <laughs> how did that happen? I mean, it probably caught him by surprise too. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's just all these things that's coming together. Um, I still think they they have a ways to go, um, but of all the teams we mentioned, I have the most confidence in them. Just because of the front office, it's intact. They have good players there. So I say we should be confident. I mean, we're looking at a team who are actually doing it the right way. They're not tanking. They're not getting rid of Whiteside and, and Drogic, and they're saying, let's get rid of these guys. They have young players on this team, and it's, and it's paying off. And with good coaching, with the veterans around them, that's how you build a team. Right. I agree. And I think nothing points more to cultures when you know other than looking at a guy like Deion Waiters, who's tra- traveled around. He was top four pick by Cleveland. Didn't work out in Cleveland. Went to Oklahoma. Didn't work out there. Now he's finally in a situation where he gets to play to his strengths and you see what the what the results are. He's playing very well. He's a spark plug for that team. He's really showing out as a as a key guy for them, as as a as a key player. And when you look at a team like that, another team is Denver. You look at the Denver Nuggets. They they parted ways with Melo several years ago and they've had some they've had a couple of down years, but they've never like completely bottomed out, even if they have missed the playoffs for a couple of years. They've they've just kept retooling, and this is a team that never really gets to draft in the top three, top four, top five. Yet when you look at their roster, they have guys like Jamal Murray, they have Nikola Jokic, they have all this other talent around like Gary Harris, Will Barton, and they Kenneth Fareed, and they were just able to build. No, there's no superstars among them, 
right now, but they just have a ton of key players that they can use interchange. They still have Gallinari and Wilson Chandler from that same Carmelo Anthony trade who have been key players for them this whole time. And here they are again looking to make the eighth seed and get back into the playoffs after a year or two a downturn. They lost their they lost their player a key player again in Ty Lawson two years ago and, and they've rebounded from that. You know, using guys like Jameer Nelson of all people to, you know, try and find a way to, to stay competitive on the floor and they have a good coach in Mike Malone who shouldn't have got fired from Sacramento, but he's there in Denver and he's turning things around there. So it's and it's just really interesting because you see a team like that, then you see a team like Phoenix. And Phoenix looked like they were poised to just break out. They signed Jeff Hornacek. They got Eric Bledsoe. They had Goran Dragic. They had the Morris Twins. They had all of this talent. Gerald Green dropping dunks on people. And now, after that one year where they just missed the playoffs, they've just gotten worse and worse again every year. What's going on? Why are these two teams so different? Well, I think in the Suns case, guys, I think it's a it's it's a matter of just getting over a bad fit. I I don't think and I think he's proven it. Hornacek is a good quality NBA coach. And I think with the Suns, they have definite superstar potential with Devin Booker. Um I also think that uh the kid in the dunk contest, um Derek Jones. Yes. I think that was the smartest call up they could make. Because he's at least giving your team some attention. In addition to that, you can't understate Tyler Ullis coming in and getting minutes at the point. Now, I think the main hindrance with them is is you have to, and I and I know I'm going to sound hypocritical saying this, they have to trade Eric Bledsoe at a certain point. It's It seems like every year he's mentioned in trade talks or he's hurt. Eric Bledsoe's a talent, but he's... He's also a bad fit with them. They're never going to get further than where they are with him. So if they trade him for either some pieces or for some talent, some veteran talent, it might help them out. But I just see that that's a team that they're they're either going to always be just close to breaking out or they'll always be just close to the bottom of the, the standings. So they need to just figure it out either way. I think Earl Watson has done a decent job as a coach. Is he their coach long term? I don't see that. I don't know. But I think for right now, what they have, they have what a lot of teams, like especially like uh, Minnesota and Sacramento, don't have is potential. That's what I see in them. Well, Minnesota has tons of potential. They got Towns, Wiggins. They got. I'm sorry, Sacramento and who's the other awful team you mentioned? Orlando. Yes. Well, Sorry, confused my geography there. Yeah, the big difference between Orlando and Minnesota. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm gonna agree with Martin. I don't have much to say about the Suns. Um, I like that the guy they have, um, their point guard Tyler Ulis. I think that kid has potential. Um, and I, I always root for you know the the shorter guys in the NBA because, you know, that was a dream for us uh, sub six feet. People. That's right. That's right. It doesn't pan out, but it's always good to see one of us. You know, it's good to see us represented in the league. And um, the kid has a lot of heart. He plays well. Um, I agree with Martin. I think it's time to part ways with Bledsoe. Um, 
move them while you can get something quality back. Maybe, uh, well, obviously you can't really do too much at this point, but maybe at the draft, if you can get another uh, another lottery pick in this year's draft because it's been touted as one of the best and a uh, quality role player, that would be a fantastic haul. I don't know if you can swing that, but you know, if you're able to get something you know akin to that, then yeah, I think that they have to continue to, you know, their their team is gonna have to continue to build with young players and a mixture of of veterans. And um, I think maybe this draft can propel them forward in, in getting somebody else. They also have to draft a little bit wiser. I, I they ha- they picked up Dragon Bender, right? Mm-hmm. I believe, and I don't I, you know. I, th- I think that was he's he was super young. It was lots of raw talent there. That's gonna take time to develop. You just gotta be a little bit smarter too with who you're drafting, you know, and and try to pair it. If you're trying to pair with somebody like Bledsoe who's in his prime now, then you wanna go ahead and maybe not go for somebody who's super raw like that. Who's gonna need several years of development before they can really contribute. So you just gotta do your your um your your work and picking a little bit better, and um, uh, like I said, like Martin said, I think it's time to part ways with, with Eric Bledsoe. Yeah, I mean, when you think of when you think of the Suns, I mean, they they win a son Tyson Chandler. You you already drafted Alex Lynn. You then get Bender, mm-hmm. and I love Chris. I think Marquise Chris is, is going to be an amazing player if he gets the opportunity. If he can learn how to get down on control his turnovers and keep his head in the game. He's going to be an amazing athlete, amazing player. You just have, again, log jam at these major positions. I agree with what y'all said. You have to trade Bledsoe. I thought Bledsoe was going during the trade deadline. He's healthy. Um, we know he has an injury history. And so I thought now that you have him somewhat healthy, you get a good deal, get some players back. Um, and I actually say players don't get don't get picks. We we've done that. You've done that. We've known your draft history. You got some young guys on this team. Now it's time for you to get some veterans on this team. And a few years ago, you weren't bad. You you actually were fighting for a playoff position. Mm-hmm. So what happened? You just you, you you get rid of your coach. You now get Earl Watson. I'm not sure whether or not he. I don't think he was the best coach for that. Um, maybe he has some he has some history for with the team, so you kind of your coach can set your team back a little bit. And I in this case, I think Earl Watson is kind of setting his team back a little bit. But needless to say, I, I I like the Suns. I have high hopes for them. I'm thinking the signing of Tyson Chandler wasn't bad. You got a veteran presence, but I still think that this offseason is a time for them to sign some veterans and. I think that'll go a long way in getting that team back into that that eighth seed that in the in the West right now that is pretty much a revolving door. So that's what I look forward to seeing them doing during the offseason. Yeah, uh, you guys bring up some good points. I I really think Chris is gonna be a good player as well. Um, that's surprising. I didn't expect everyone to say it's time for Bledsoe to go out the door, but you guys may be right. Um, maybe not. I don't believe in that. Maybe as so much to give Tyler Ulis, um more burn, but I would trade Bledsoe because you want to put the ball in Devin Booker's hands more. I think that would be a smart idea. Um, you know they have a lot of raw talent though, so once they do trade Bledsoe, and remember they gotta trade tr- Brandon Knight as well, who's on that team. You you're gonna have to 
push the clock back a little more because the guys they do have, once those guys are gone, are still very raw. So we'll have to see. And it's very interesting because you have that team who has a lot of lottery talent, top five, top six, top ten guys, and you juxtapose them to, you know, the Nuggets who don't really get to draft that high, and they've kind of hit on guys really well with Gary Harris, Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic. They've got talent that's going to carry them for the next several years. So if I was a fan, I'd rather be a fan of the Nuggets than the Suns right now because I kind of know where the Nuggets are going. I don't know when the Suns are going to turn that around. Devin Booker is a great player, but he can't do it by himself. And you never know, a couple years from now, we may be seeing him traded or leaving in free agency to another team. So we'll have to see how that goes. But it, it just shows that, at least in my opinion, bottoming out, resetting that clock year after year is is not a guaranteed strategy and we all know why these teams do it right what why do you guys think all of these teams are going after that what what model they are they trying to replicate oh without a doubt it's the spurs i mean they set the blueprint i feel um as far as developing guys young talent and building there they do. They're they're the model, but the Spurs don't bottom out. The team that bottomed out and turned it into and turned into a finals team was the Thunder. The Thunder spent years in the lottery. Kevin Durant, they got him in the lottery. They had Jeff Green in that trade for Ray Allen. They got Russell Westbrook in the lottery. They got Ibaka in the lottery. Just James Harden in the lottery year after year, and they turned that into this awesome team of talent that. Even with that same coach, Scott Brooks, went from lottery team to contender and then finals uh, appearance. And so teams say, well, that's the way we got to do it. That's the way we have to build a winner. But to me, that that seems more like an outlier than the rule. What do you guys think? I yeah, think I, mean, I-, I agree. Oh, go ahead, Mark. Sorry. Oh, you go ahead. Oh, I was late. My fault. I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, obviously the Thunder had some success there, but what did they actually win, you know? So there's there's definitely some takeaways from that, but at the same time, there's been as many, there's been a lot of misses in the, the lottery, you know, like a lot of those teams had the option to be able to get some of those guys that the Thunder had. Greg Mm -hmm. Oden was drafted ahead of Kevin Durant. Right. And we know how that story ends. You know, and so there's it's not just, oh, well, we'll be able to pick these guys. There's a lot of factors. It's still a lottery. You don't know where you're going to fall. You don't know who's going to draft who before you. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there's still a lot of factors that come into play there. And, you know, it's it's still a mixed bag at the end of the day. And to go ahead and try to strategize something that – by its nature is random, I think is really just unwise. You know, you can only count on it for so much because you can only control it to a certain degree. You can only put yourself in a position to improve your chances. And even then, your chances is just getting you an opportunity at a college player that may or may not pan out. You know, you're still trying to gauge potential and try to quantify that into, you know, actual production. And we've seen it time and time again. It doesn't happen with the guys that people anticipate will happen with. Then you get guys from the late, the end of the first round and guys in the second round 
who all of a sudden, you know, blossom and turn into these stars. The Jimmy Butler's, the Draymond Green's, the Isaiah Thomas's, mm -hmm. these people that everybody had a swing at. <laughs> Literally, everybody had a chance to get them. Kawhi Leonard, you know. So there's a lot of factors there. That's why I kind of pointed to the Spurs, but I get what you're saying regarding the Thunder. Just because the Spurs, like you said, they didn't bottom out, but they drafted successfully, and it, as a result, they won championships. And I think at the end of the day, if you're a team like the Thunder and you're able to have so many great players on your squad, I mean, you had Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook and Ibaka and James Harden all at the same time, and you still fall short of the championship, is, can you really you know, qualify that as a success at the end of the day and then really say, well, bottoming out and tanking really works because it'll bring you a conference finals championship. And a, and, a, and a single finals appearance. I hear what you're saying, John. But you also got to remember, all the teams we talked about, when's the last time they even got to the conference finals? No, right. I agree with you. You know, I agree 100% with you. But I saw, I think it's leading back to like we're saying is that it's at the most tanking can only be part of the strategy. So it's building or turning your team around. Not, not even building a winner, but just turning your ball club around. You need to get a star guy. You need somebody, you know, you need talent. It's part of the strategy, but it's it's not the um, the yellow brick road to success. Yeah, uh, totally. And even when you talk about the Spurs, they did have that one year when they lost David Robinson, so they were terrible, and then they got the number one pick and got Tim Duncan. Right. But when you look at that team, even if that year didn't happen, that would have meant they would have had a healthy David Robinson for that year, and they probably would have went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Suns or the Rockets or some other team in the Western Conference Finals like they were doing every other year. So right. they were still they were still going to win regardless. It really helped that they got Tim Duncan, but you see even moving past them now that Tim Duncan's gone, they, they find ways to get their guys and to get the players that are going to help them. So they did it with Kawhi. They, they did it with... DeJounte Murray, they did it with Patty Mills, they did it with Danny Green, Dwayne Dedman. They, they keep getting these guys year after year and they develop them and they turn them into these better players because they identify talent and they say, okay, in our, in our organization, in our front office, in our front office, we can teach him this, we can teach him that, we can work with him here, and then he'll be the player we need. And, and that's what they do and these guys, that's what, that's what happens. These guys turn into really solid players, smart players, and then in the case of someone like Kawhi, they turn into a phenomenal player who's now a superstar. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you, you mentioned you, you talked about how these teams try to imitate the OKC brand, but you also have to understand that OKC, too, have their flaws. I mean, you, you talk about you had Harden, Westbrook, Durant, and Ibaka all on one team. And now looking back, you only have one of those guys on the team. To me, that's not success right there. That's that's pretty much bad management. All those players should have stayed on that team. Mm -hmm. Also, when you look at the fact that they stumbled upon that, they had no idea to know what Harding was going to become. They had no idea what Westbrook was going to become. Um, they, stumb like, they stumbled upon Durant. So it wasn't the fact that they – built this team and they totally you know out scouted everyone else that didn't happen they just got you no know, fortunate for lack of a better term and they got that team together 
Mm-hmm. However, when you look at a team like San Antonio, a team that's able to pick 30th in the draft like every year, and they find players who come in the next season and contribute, to me, that's a formula for success. Building a foundation, using the draft to get yourself complementary pieces so that you're able to continue that level of success. I mean, Kawhi came in at a time, and we've had conversations. I was like, Kawhi is not a star. Kawhi is just a role player. Mm-hmm. I had no idea he was going to take it to this level. But I did. But it somehow popped me. And I, oh, and, and you knew. <laughs> you knew too. <laughs> so he took it to this whole new level. And now look what he's doing. So this is, this is what we're talking about. What we're talking about is just you look at the draft, and if you happen to find that superstar player, great. But what you go into the draft, just aim to get a good player. Not a superstar. Don't try to hit the home run. Just get a decent player. And if you do that, a player that your team can actually use, too. Unless you're picking first overall, then get best available player. But other than that, build for your team. Yeah, I agree. And also, draft a guy you know you can work with. Draft a guy you know fits what you're about as a team. You know, Spurs knew that this was a guy that fit with their team. When the Bucks took Giannis Antetokounmpo, they knew what they could do with that guy. And now they're trying to do the same thing with Don Maker. Maybe he will be that type of player. That still remains to be seen. But we do know now that they have success. You know, they drafted Giannis Antetokounmpo. They drafted Chris Middleton, who was a second-round pick. Look how good of a player he's becoming. You know, they they were terrible um, a couple years ago, and they got Jabari Parker, but they actually mistakenly were terrible because that was the same year they made a bunch of free agent signings and they just happened to it just all happened to go to go to the crap but they got Jabari Parker out of it they oh, they drafted late and they got guys like John Henson you know even before that when Larry Sanders was on that team and he was blocking every shot he was in a lottery pick per se so it's all about finding guys that you think can you can work with and can you can build and in your system and, and turn into into strong players and they did it again with Malcolm Brogdon, second round pick, and now he's a he's a key player for them. So it's like you said, it's not trying to hit a home run per se, but you find guys that you know can work with what you're doing and make sense for your organization. And and I think that's the difference between the teams that, you know, stay in the lottery for several years and the teams that Maybe they have up and down years, but they move forward at a certain point, and then they become contenders again. And you know the the Pacers did that. The Pacers never really bottomed out. You know they got guys like Granger, then they got guys like Paul George and Lance Stevenson and Roy Hibbert, and they built that into a team. You know they another team is the Rockets. The Rockets never bottomed out. They never bottomed out. They kept trying to move the wheels, trying to move the wheels until they got their star in James Harden. And then they said, okay, now we can build around this. But they never really tanked. They never really bottomed out, tried to be as bad as possible. They were always drafting in the teens. And they turned that into a star eventually. And they had two stars with him and Dwight Howard, but that didn't work either. But they reset. And even with the Thunder, everyone talks about that Thunder model. But the Thunder... They lost Harden, they lost Ibaka, and they even lost Kevin Durant. 
they could have easily said, well, we don't have KD. We might as well trade Russ where he wants to go now and just rebuild, tank, get another superstar three years down the road. But nope, they committed to Russ. Russ committed to them. They've made some smart trades. And, you know, they're not a top four team right now, but they're still a playoff team. They're still above 500. They're still very competitive. And there's room to grow with that roster. Oladipo can keep getting better on that roster. They can make more moves to get team players that fit better around Russ as they keep the, as they keep moving on. So even a team that these other franchises may be looking at as the model for why you tank, they had a catastrophic summer and they still did not tank. They said, okay, let's move forward with what we have. So I find that very ironic too. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Preach. So as you can see, I think we've said all we can say on the topic for the evening. But I wanted to thank everyone for, for joining on on the hotline tonight. Had Martin, had John, Leif. This was a good topic. Yeah. Really it was. Good. It was. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And remember, everybody, don't drink and tank. <laughs> Kyle and Leif, thanks for having us um, on again, man. We really appreciate it and really enjoy, uh, you know, connecting with you guys, talking sports. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. Basketball is fun. Exactly. Basketball is fun. So this was a great topic. Again, this is the Pace and Space podcast. You can find us on the sideline at the sideline reporter on Twitter. You can find us at theslreporter.com. That's our website. Uh, me personally, I'm Calvin. As you guys know, you can find me at Caldan384 on Twitter. Leif, you can find him at LDB Creations on Twitter. John, you can find at JBZXII and all the other alphabet letters on Twitter. <laughs> and Martin will find you on Twitter. You can't find him. He's going to find you. All right, He'll everybody? Find you. I have a special set of skills. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. Just want to say good night and thanks for listening. Peace out. Later. Mm.